0: Welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's book. week's episode of Chris Reed's book. I am your resident author, Chris Pullman, and this week we are back to my second science fiction novel, uh, Martian Reporter Humanity's New Hope. I'll be reading one chapter out of this this week because it's a, a lengthier chapter by the title, The Gathering Light. If uh, this is your first time listening to this podcast of mine. I encourage you to go back, oh, several weeks now, many weeks, because there was an interlude there where I was recording portions of my first non, uh, my first vanilla fiction novel, Linda's Cal Exit, but with the exception of that. This is a serial podcast, so I'm reading through this second novel of mine, uh, chapter by chapter basically, or two chapters at a time, depending on how long they are. So if you haven't listened to any of the other chapters of this book, I would encourage you to go back and do so, or else you're going to miss a lot of context. You don't specifically need the first book to listen to this one, but uh, I would at least listen to some of the other chapters out of this book before listening to this podcast. You can do that by either looking on your favorite podcast application, iTunes, or... uh, uh, What do I use here? I'm going to unlock my phone here. I use Podcast Republic because I'm on an Android device. Or whatever you use. Search for Chris Reed's book. My podcast should come up and you can get all the back podcast episodes out there. Otherwise, if you don't do the podcast thing, but you still want to listen, you can head over to narclaninc.com. That's n-a-r-c-l-a-n-i-n-c.com. Go to the podcast link, the Chris Reads book page, and there, listed uh, as linked mp3s, are all of my back episodes from this podcast. You can find them all over there, download them or stream them from the website, whatever you prefer. In the meantime, assuming that you have gone back and listened to previous episodes of this book or that you have already caught up, I am going to continue with this week's chapter, The Gathering Light. James Hall knew instantly what the meeting was truly about. Tim Fowler had implied that it would simply be a meeting concerning the underground. But the minute Makia walked in, Jim knew better. She had not shrouded her thoughts from him at all, even though she could. Not only was she one of the two leaders of the underground, but a high-ranking double agent of the censorship. In retrospect, it was little wonder that the information raids of the underground had been so successful. Keo was no doubt feeding them contraband shipment information. There was more to it, though. Jim sensed that Makio was truly... Committed to the welfare and success of both causes. She was not just acting a part. There was something deeper underlying her role. Rachel, on the other hand, was exactly what she appeared a fervent member of the underground. She was dedicated, ironically, to fighting the influence of the censorship and its agents. Mr. Hall, a pleasure. Makia said, rising and gesturing at the remaining empty seat at the table. Makia, Jim replied, shaking her hand. Rachel, no one in the underground knew their last names. Very few had ever met them in person. And to have both in the same place at once was a true oddity. Once Jim was seated, he asked, So, ladies, what interest does the company have in me? even as isolated as they were in the restaurant using the common aphorism the company was a worthwhile precaution one did not say underground in public (laughs) as tim no doubt told you the company has been keeping a close watch on you for some time makia replied he had kia was still intentionally leaving her mind open why would the censorship encourage through you The theft of controlled contraband, James asked Makia directly in her mind. She had been well-trained. She did not so much as blink. Then you know, James, Rachel picked up, unaware of his thought toward Kia, or of her thought, reply. That due to recent developments, you have become even more important than previously thought. Makia, at the same time, thought James, at its inception, the Department of Censorship was set up not to suppress information, but to preserve it. Rachel continued, just the information you no doubt gleaned from talking with Eric Poe makes you an invaluable invaluable asset worth protecting. As did Makia, we quickly surmised that our mission would be short-lived if utterly successful. So we built in flaws to keep our mission alive. As such, we would bring you into the company with full benefits. One of those flaws was our creation of the Atmo Underground. Listening to and trying to comprehend two conversations at once would have been difficult had it not been for James Christopher's abilities, which Jim had unconsciously tapped. Not only was Jim being courted as a member of the Underground, something he had aspired to, before encountering Eric Pullman, but was also being told that the Underground was in fact an artifice of the censorship. They were allies, simply one way blind. Well, I am quite flattered by the offer, James replied to Rachel, while also thought replying to Kia. And what has such to do with me? As you should be, James. James said Rachel, while Kia thought a flaw was not the only reason the Underground was created, nor was it its first incarnation. We knew at its inception that there would be a time when the fight would again need to be joined. Rachel finished, we are picky about our recruits. And yet you let Tim Fowler in? Jim joked to Rachel as he thought at Kia. Joined how? How? We do more than just steal books, Kia replied over Rachel's. Well, he is a special man of a different sort. You'll get no argument from me, James said aloud, thinking you trained them, the members of the underground, for combat, but to serve whom? So, James, Kia said aloud to him while also thinking the last of the TDF, as Tommy directed. She finished, saying, as shock and understanding settled over Jim, Would you join our cause? Tommy and Tammy Brewer from Earth. Kia's implication was clear in light of their meeting with Nick's censorship delegation. Tommy had clearly been important in Earth's history after the TDF exile, but by Jim's own research, it had seemed that 1st Sergeant Tommy Brewer had died in the attack on the Sheboygan spaceport. Tommy had to have survived, and by Kia's statement, and how Tommy's face had clearly floated forward in her mind, he had impacted the very formation of the censorship. You hesitate, James, Rachel commented. Just thinking about something, Jim replied. It is a lot to take in at once, sister. Kia said at Rachel. I know who you are, James, Kia thought. What you are. The underground needs you. The censorship needs you. Humanity needs you. Though I doubt I need convince you further. Indeed, Jim replied. Well, he began, feeling another layer of the Pullman Knot fall away. "'I suppose I must accept, mustn't I?' "'Not that you must,' said Rachel. "'But we'd appreciate it,' Kia overlapped, thinking. "'The censorship understands your true worth, what you truly are. "'The Underground does not. "'Do not reveal it to them yet. "'The time will come,' Aloud, Kia added. "'Well, I believe that's about it for today. "'We'll be in touch.' she added as she sat a rectangular piece of cardstock on the table. To the naked eye, it appeared blank. However, Jim could feel its silicate circuitry, see the superviolet print thanks to how his nanites had enhanced his senses. The print was instructions, the card, a short-distance transceiver. Rachel rose first, casually walking out of the shop. Without being told, Jim understood he was next. Making sure to take the cart, he walked out as casually, giving a cursory look around once he was outside. Rachel had already disappeared from sight. Jim decided to walk home rather than take public transport. Things were unveiling themselves so rapidly. A secret comm link to the censorship, the underground its construct and puppet, and Tommy Brewer survived. No. Jim thought to himself, a leader of the underground, perhaps even its founder. "'We need you,' came a voice from within Jim's head. As easily as breathing, he could now slip between reality and mind space. He did so now, and felt Jessica ascend to the consciousness of his body as he shifted. "'No funny stuff, okay?' he said to her as she passed. "'What? Don't like gladiator sandals?' Jessica quipped as the nar conference room solidified around Jim. There, upon the table, Pullman's Knot had shed its final layers. What was left floating in the air was a quagmire of a shape. Around it were gathered most of the progenitors. Jessica was up top, of course, and Adam was clearly absent. So was Eric.' We tried to call him, but he wouldn't come, replied Melinda to Jim's unasked question. Moving forward and leaning on the table, Jim asked, So what is it? It's not for us, D'Andre spoke up. What do you mean? Jim asked. Did I stutter? D'Andre replied. D'Andre stopped us from trying to grab it, James said. Don't know what it's about, but something told me we weren't to take it ourselves. Jim knew enough to trust Andre's judgment. Moving toward the object, Jim felt himself pulled in. A half-remembered dream came to him. Planetoids of rock floating in a gray mist. Only you'll be able to stop him, Jim heard himself say. But it was wrong. Jim was looking at Eric. His hands reached out, handing over the knot. Eric turned, placing the knot in a shelf, closing books back over it. As he did, Jim receded from it, and cold darkness came. It was like a veil falling across him. Anger and fear, most prevalent of all the emotions, came on quickly. Before they overtook him, he said, And this one more thing and the darkness pressed over him, drowning him in its oppressiveness. He wound up and threw a perfect spiral to Eric, as he had many times before. As Eric caught the ball, it dissolved, absorbing into him. Then he was choking, though not aloud. Thick smoke filled his very being, and he couldn't breathe. What have you done? said a voice in his head. I've given what he needs to fend you off, he replied to it. How dare you, cursed the voice. No, the chaos. He had to struggle to keep focused. Thoughts swirled around him so fast. You will not have him as you did me, he spat back contemptuously. You can't win, the chaos enclosing his conscious mind hissed. "'You will lose now,' he replied. The darkness overtook him then. Through fog and shaded eyes, he could see Eric's eyes refocusing. "'I found him,' came a voice echoing echoing from afar. The clouds in back of Eric seemed to swirl white and push back against those dark ones creeping forward around him. "'What do you mean, found me?' Eric asked." He knew that he was already lost, but in one desperate, nearly wasted last gasp, Jim reached into the mind, enclosing his own, and burned it. Lightning flashed through the clouds as a silent roar of realization and pain ripped through his mind. He had done it. Chaos would remember none of this, and all the world went completely black. Jim opened his eyes and found himself looking up at Melinda, James, Meng, Claire, D'Andre. Progenitors seemed worried. "'What?' he asked. "'That's what we wanted to know,' James replied. "'You took up the knot. It dissolved into you. Your pupils dilated. You went rigid and fell. Meng caught you and kept you from smashing your face, thankfully.' "'The phantoms think they're real.' Said a subtle echo from within Jim. What is it? asked Claire. Jim looked around the group, finding Melinda's wide eyed gaze. He touched the dark taint, she said. Jim could feel them grow tense around him. He isn't here. He was left behind, argued Claire. We all were. We know. "'Melinda replied, but he touched it nonetheless. "'How is that possible?' asked James. "'Nothing of either of them should remain here.' "'Perhaps it was something buried in the knot,' chimed in Mang. "'I wasn't paying attention when he took it,' Melinda offered. "'I couldn't say.' "'What else could it be?' D'Andre asked, no one in particular. "'If he couldn't find another answer, one must not exist.' Once we eliminate the impossible, whatever's left, no matter how improbable, must be the truth, Jim said as he pushed himself to sitting. His head hurt. (sighs) Two planetoids, Jim said as he rubbed his head, and fog all around. James glanced at Meng before saying, be more explicit. Jim looked at him, confused. Gray fog at first, Around both me and, um, and Eric. He he was across from me. James turned his eyes directly on Jim. The fog. Describe it. He wrinkled his brow, focusing. Jim was trying to see what memory he was accessing, but was being actively blocked. Why? The atmosphere grew more tense. D'Andre and Claire shifted to his sides, James in front of him. Melinda moved behind James, and Mang behind him, behind Jim. The fog, Jimmy. It's important, said Mang. What are you doing? Jim asked. He tried to stand, but suddenly felt himself being held down. They're trying to take over your mind, a voice echoed from afar. It sounded like a whisper of a memory and smelled of burning. The fog, Jim, Willinda said over James's shoulder. Jim tried to back out to get back to the physical world, but he couldn't even make himself see it. Jessica was blocking his way out. Ah, uh, it, was, it was gray at first. Around both Eric and I, Jim said. He was under attack right then. The progenitors around him were attacking him, and he was powerless to stop them. See, hissed the echo, seeming to grow weaker. Uh, but then Jim was trying to drag more out of the memory, knowing full well that what, that was what it had been. I, uh, I gave Eric the knot, and he hid it. ''The fog,'' said James. ''Ah, I threw him something. I, I don't know what it was. A voice in my own head cursed me. It said I couldn't win. I told it that it could still lose.'' ''The fog,'' said Meng. Then and the fog um, changed. Behind Eric, it grew white, but around me it um it blackened. The air had grown heavy around Jim, but there isn't there isn't air here. He reminded to himself. Belinda put a hand on James's shoulder. I can see it. Van Ivan. James said. Then suddenly there was a lance of pain inside Jim's head. It felt as if someone had shoved a chef's knife deep into his skull, setting it on fire. No, husked the voice. Don't let them take me! All Jim managed as a reply was a distressed gurgle. Don't resist, said James, staring into Jim's eyes. Let go. Let go, echoed Meng. "'Don't let go!' cried the black echo within. More white-hot pain shot through Jim's head, followed by the feeling of extraction, as if something were being forcibly pulled out of it. Then all at once, the pain was gone. Jim opened his eyes, not realizing he had closed them. He was staring once more at the NAR conference room ceiling. "'Not good.' Jim mumbled as he pushed himself up. You're fine now, said James, pulling Jim to his feet. But you'll want to see this, he added, turning Jim around. There before him was something not quite human in form. It had two arms and two legs, a head and fingers, but otherwise lacked definition. A memory rushed back to Jim, of grease and... The Acropolis, he gasped. Chaos, he added, seething slightly. It appears as as the final form he had taken there. Nearly a shadow, said Meng, who had moved opposite James, both of them standing guard between Jim and the Bean, flanking them. Something chaos managed to hide away within either Adam or Eric's construction, hoping it would take over once you opened it. Meng was unblinkingly staring at the shadow. Who are you? Jim asked it. As Meng said, merely a shadow. The Dark One molded me from himself. He knew that somehow Eric and Adam conspired against him, but didn't know how, said the shade. Its voice was a rasping sound, and chilled Jim to the bone. How did you sense him? Jim asked James and Meng, though only James looked at him. The memory you experienced, replied James. It made us pensive, added Meng, holding his steel-locked gaze on the shade. But whose memory was it? Jim asked them. Adams, James, Meng, and the shade replied as one. Their voices together carried a note of satisfaction, pride, and disdain. How's that possible? Jim asked them. He's not with us. Isn't he? Rasped the Shade. James and Meng raised their arms, seeming to encircle the Shade. We shall not fear, said James. We name our fears, and we face them, added Meng. And once they are named, they are gone, they said in unison. With that, the shade was consumed in a bright, blinding flash. Jim blinked and found himself back in his house, in the basement, facing the whiteboard. Seeming to stand next to him was Jessica. She was pulled up to the same table, chair turned so that she could sit on it backwards. You were him, she stared, staring at Jim. I was, Jim agreed. After the end, but before the beginning, Jim knew exactly what she meant. He had been him after the end of the insurrection, but before Martian exile. Even then, under chaos's complete control, he fought, Jim said. Her jaw set and nostrils flared, she said. I knew he did you were there. More of the memory was seeping through. New bits and pieces of what Adam had been were filling in. Jim could see Jessica's face in the fog surrounding Eric, James, Meng, and him. Just not awake yet. Jim felt odd then. His arm trembled slightly. I wanted so badly to reach out to you. To have you with me again just didn't reply. Her eyes were a confused mix of kindness and hatred. Jim reached out to her then, his arms stopped trembling the moment he touched her. In that instant, as his fingertips brushed her cheek, a flood of memories washed over him, and all of them saw her prominently displayed. They were on a picnic in the city park, Somewhere nearby, he could hear children laughing and splashing in the pool. The wind swirled around Jessica, settling some of her hair across her face. She reached, pulled her perfect, long, red hair back, having to turn and lower her head. The breeze stopped, and she must have felt him looking at her. With her hand just above her ear, she looked at him and smiled that seductive, Pardon me. I don't edit this, so I apologize. That seductive, suggestive smile of hers. He could feel himself blush. His heart reaching out toward her, as his arm—pardon me—as his arm did, pulling her against him. Another memory. He walked toward the bathroom, knowing he'd catch her just out of the shower. Peeking around the doorframe, he could see her in the mirror. A towel wrapped around her as she worked on her hair. She saw him. Not quite sneaky enough, she said with a grin. Suddenly a wet towel flew at him, covering his head as he found himself being tackled onto their bed at Nara Defense. She's on top of him, straddling him, pinning his legs. She leaned atop him now, her chest against his, as she peeled back the towel. Her red hair shrouded her face and his. Not sneaky enough at all, she teased, her hands finding their way under his shoulders. Not a bad prize for losing, though, he said as he reached up and cradled her head, pulling it forward for a kiss. Another memory. They were on a pontoon boat on Glen Lake. Mang and a team were out on a mission, but James, Melinda, Jessica, and he... Were taking a break from things. James was pointing out locations around the lake. Melinda's, Melinda smiled, even though she'd heard all the stories before. Adam didn't mind hearing them again. Some of them he'd even been part of, but nothing bothered him, because in his arms, leaning back snug against his chest, was his Jessica. His arms were wrapped around her, is atop his James wants to go into Wazaki for supper tonight Adam murmured softly kissing Jess on her head want to stay back she asked as Adam entered wove his fingers with hers spreading them he said softly hungrily absolutely more and more memories flooded over Jim Jessica he thought as the world began to make sense again. They had been memories. Jim was in the basement of his house. He is James Hall, and Jessica Broom is only a quantum reality in his mind. Slowly he regained his breath and loosened his grip on the table. Leaning back in the chair, he looked up at the board. There, in a hand not his own, was written, He's not defeated. He grows his strength even now. You must rise and rise again to oppose him. Darkness approaches. Jim felt a chill run through him. What happened? Were those truly Adam's memories? If so, how would he have them? Adam was still Chaos's prisoner, wasn't he? Jim reached out to the other minds, those the progenitors. Found nothing. Suddenly he was scared. As scared as when Eric had just given all those other minds to him. He had so quickly come to rely on them, and now they were gone. Silent. Out of the corner of his eye, he spotted more writing on the board. Writing that hadn't been there a moment ago. It read Only you can face him now. You know why. But Jim didn't. He felt cut off and alone, abandoned, and very afraid. (laughs) And that is it for today. Thank you for tuning in and putting up with my little uh, mistakes. Again, I don't like to edit these because this isn't exactly going to be a... Uh, professional recording or anything and personally I like listening to podcasts such as Nerdist where they don't edit too much where you get the raw experience of the podcast as if you were there that's what I'm trying to do here is make it feel like I was reading this to you in person I apologize if you heard the squeaky toy in the background that's the dog who wants to go out so I'm going to kind I'm going to cut this short Um, if you have any comments, any questions, anything that you would like to share with me, including that you're listening to this podcast, please head over to the website, narclaninc.com slash chrisreadsbook. There you will be able to find links off to my author Facebook and Twitter account. Go like me, follow me, and then uh, send me a message, a direct message, a comment, on the Facebook and let me know that you're out there. Again, thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Keep being awesome. See you next time.